Good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is uh, three ways to unlock your creative potential at work. We're also going to be chatting with Christina. We're going to have a look at uh, some more of those types of innovation that she's been talking about over the last couple of weeks. But right now we're going to pop over to Baker Love Lawyers and have a chat with Jason Dunn about recent movements in the retirement village sector. Good afternoon, Jason. Good afternoon, Julian. And thank you for joining us today. So there's been quite a lot of media attention on the retirement village sector at the moment, or over the last few months. Can you tell us what the latest developments are? Absolutely. Um, I guess just by way of background, um, there has been uh, quite a bit of media attention in recent months and it hasn't all been positive, um, but um, it isn't all doom and gloom and there has been some very good developments. Um, back in July last year, the New South Wales government identified that there were issues of concern in the retirement village sector and they re- released a four-point plan and that plan basically set out an agenda for an overhaul of the retirement villages regulation to provide some greater transparency around the fees and charges in relation to retirement villages, the introduction of an online calculator to assist residents better understand the estimated cost of living in a retirement village, a New South Wales um, fair trading compliance splits to target all of New South Wales retirement villages for compliance, and also an inquiry which was to be headed by Catherine Griner. AO uh, to examine all retirement uh, registered retirement villages across New South Wales and um, and their compliance with the Retirement Villages Act and that inquiry has since been completed. So so what is the outcome of that inquiry? Well the outcome and the inquiry was conducted between August and December last year and it was quite um, extensive involved quite a lot of consultation with the public key stakeholders in the retirement village sector as well as a number of industry experts and it resulted in a report which is referred to as the Griner Review Report and it outlines a range of findings and makes a number of recommendations um, to improve the legislative framework for retirement villages and also the operational practices of both the industry and the regulator which is New South Wales Fair Trading. Uh, the review also identified a number of positive experiences by residents and managers uh, of um, villages as well. So it wasn't all, all bad news. There was a lot of good stories out there. So but it did, um, it did come up with three key areas that needed uh, improvement, and they were increasing transparency around exit fees and the contracts themselves, clarifying the funding arrangements for ongoing maintenance costs, which are shared between residents and operators, and also providing more support when, there, when disputes arise between residents and the operators. So how has the New South Wales government responded to these findings? Well, they've been very, um, there's been a very positive response and they have uh, made it clear that they are committed to implementing the recommendations in the Griner Report. And um, as recent as June this year, um, they've sort of set out how they're going to go about um, reforming uh, this sector and their reforms are basically going to be around increasing transparency in the sector by reviewing uh, the disclosure documents that are currently being used, uh, increasing um, consumer certainty around what 
costs and charges are involved and also enhancing the accountability of operators and the sector as a whole to improve the village living for residents, uh, improving the effectiveness of dispute resolution, which can be a very daunting process for residents, and also strengthening fair trading's oversight of the sector um, to make sure that these regulations are complied with. So, so that's the, uh, the government's review. Uh, what about the retirement village uh, industry itself? How does that respond it? Well, the industry, they obviously see the, the value and the importance um, of the industry in New South Wales and, and, and they have really, I guess, taken the front foot in, in addressing the concerns and they've put together a, um, a what they call a retirement living draft code of conduct which all retirement village owners may eventually um, potentially be required to sign up to. Um, at the moment, it's, it's a um, it's an it's a optional um, code of conduct, but members of that industry group will, um, I expect, will all, all sign up to it. And um, and it's it really sets out um, uh, sets out a lot of details about what residents need to um, be provided on the way into the village how the, the operators need to conduct themselves and it's really about maintaining high standards um, particularly around marketing and selling of the um, of the um, village um, properties and promoting confidence and, and a greater understanding of the retirement village sector. So, so in layman's terms uh, what does this mean for retirees living in retirement villages or thinking of going into retirement villages? Well I think Julian it, it is it's good news um, there I think figures there's something like 3,000 retirement villages in Australia and close to 300,000 people um, across the country living in retirement villages so it is a very important sector of the property market and thanks to the Griner review we can um, certainly expect some improvements to the regulation of the retirement village sector which should lead to a, a much higher standard of quality and service in our retirement villages although uh, if you've seen some of the, the more recent um, villages it is quite amazing what um, what the standard of, of accommodation and services are these days. But I think we can also expect a greater level of transparency, um, particularly around the contracts, uh, the exit fees and the process of, of exiting a, a village and what the costs um, of living in the village are going to be. We can also expect a better and a more user-friendly dispute resolution process, which is often, um, as I mentioned earlier, a very daunting process for residents. But, however, you know, I couldn't go without saying that you know, there is never any substitute for good quality mm. legal advice when mm. considering entering into a retirement village agreement. They are a long-term commitment and, um, and you really need to be aware of what your obligations are um, and what the obligations of the retirement village are. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Jason. We'll My probably pleasure. have a chat with you again another time. Thank you very much, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Jason Dunn there helping us to understand uh, the changes that have happened in recent movements in the retirement village, particularly the uh, in recent inquiry. Time to have a chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? Well, I know we've got, got my words mixed up. Glad there. we've got you this week. We're going to yeah, have a look you. at some more of those uh, types of innovation that we started to talk about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we are. So I thought I might just recap on the ones that we've already yeah. done. So we, we, we spoke about um, 
that being able to innovate on profit model. We talked about being able to innovate on networking. Talked about being able to innovate the structure and how we how we organise our businesses around the talents and the assets that we have, um, and how to innovate processes. And you know, how do we do things a bit differently? How do we do things better? How do we change things and make things a bit more um, streamlined? Whatever that means, you know, for each organisation. So today, what we're going to do is talk about product performance. Um, and product system and what we mean by product performance is around the USP, how reliable is the product, how just, remarkable just amplify is the USP for people Okay, so the unique selling proposition, yep. the thing that makes you stand out, the thing that makes you different um, to, to your competitors and to other people in the market uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about product systems which is, you know when the, sometimes um, a product system is when we've actually got complementary products and other organisations that work to develop products for the, for the product or the service that we've got. So we'll go into product performance and here mm. we're talking about um, value features, quality um, what is it that the business offers um, but we have to be very careful that it's not easy to copy and a couple of things that that you know have been easy to copy in the past are things like you know a toothbrush. You go in and you go, well, this has got a better grip, and it will get into the molars, and it will get. But and all of a sudden, you know, one brand has it, and the next brand's bringing something out as well. Toothpaste is another another really good example. What I'm noticing now is I march down the the um, supermarket aisle is that you've got a whitener with one company and then all of a sudden the other companies have whiteners and you've got repair toothpaste and all of a sudden everybody else has a repair toothpaste. Mm. Uh, so, you know, they're things that we have to be careful that it's not easy to copy if we want it to be long-lasting for our organisations. And, that, so, and that's important as we talked about for your USP or unique selling proposition. If you've, yeah. got, if you've got one and it's easier to copy, then obviously it doesn't last long. Yeah. Correct. That's a, yeah, that's right. You, the, the leading position that you may have developed in the market, in your particular market, um, evaporates. So this type of innovation, so product performance can be um, an entirely new product. It can be an update. It can be a line extension. But as we just mentioned, nothing on, on those too easy to replicate um, items. So product performance can actually involve simplification uh, and I was at, had the great fortune to be at, at eBay in Sydney yesterday and we were talking um, about um, you know the differences between eBay and Amazon and I'll mention that again in a minute but uh, we, we had a listen to the eBay voice command so voice command you know we've got Siri we've got Alexa um, eBay actually has its own voice command so you can talk into the phone and say you know I want the latest um, Apple TV or whatever, uh, and it will bring up where they are, colours, formats, where, how much they are, what's available, and you can ask all these questions um, and direct your search by using a voice command. Mm. So that what we're talking about is making it easier. The simplification is, is making things easier for a the consumer yeah. um, to connect with the product that you want. It can also be sustainable. So a product performance can have an innovation in sustainability. So we're looking at things like, um, you know, the, the LED light globes now that people are, are putting in. And because what we're doing is, is we're finding that for a little bit of increased upfront cost, we're getting a lot of longevity. It's better for the environment. We're burning burning less fuels, etc. So mm. sustainability is another thing. Customization um, is also another part of product performance. So product performance in monograms, I've, what I've seen, I don't know about you, but a plethora um, of monogramming stationery for, you know, different different 
um, we won't mention any names, right. even though I have mentioned some names now, but, you know, you can actually get monogrammed stationery, um, planners, calendars, passports, etc. So that, that's a new, that was a new thing, but that was easily replicable, so it hasn't actually made any brands stand out. There's several brands actually doing that at the moment. So I um, suppose one of the uh, ways of doing that is uh, talking to customers to find out what could be done better and different. Well, one of the case studies that we actually heard about yesterday was how, oh, it wasn't so much a case study, but it was an investigation into um, how do we differentiate um, ourselves in the market. And what they would do is they, they actually had a list of the top 1,000 users. And what they were able to do out of that was select 12 at random, bring them actually into um, a, a, a space and observe what they were doing while they were using the product, which makes a big difference. You can get a 1,000 people to do a survey and you might get similar results, but it's not until you actually bring people in and you watch, you observe what they're doing, that you can find out where pain points are because often clients can overcome a pain point, but what we want to do as, as suppliers of products and services is make sure that there's no pain point there. How mm. simple can we make, you know, how speedy can we make um, the service or the product that we're, that we're developing? How, how well is that accepted and how well can that be used by your, by your customer? Mm. Um, we want, and we also want to deliver quality that, that um, our competitors can't match. So one of those, another, another example, if I go to eBay and Amazon, is the speed of delivery. Some people will go to eBay um, because it's very much uh, a trusted brand in Australia, but some people will go to Amazon because they know that they've got the warehouse there and that they can bring the product will be delivered much sooner. So what is it that one organisation can do to increase that um, part of their business over the other? Mm -hmm. Another example of product performance um, is, you know, Dyson. We've, we've heard many times how Dyson's first vacuum cleaner took over 4,000 iterations um, to, to, to come about, yeah. but they, the point of difference was the, um, the transparent bag-free design and people could actually observe for the first time how much dirt was being sucked up off the floor. Mm. Uh, and that kind of put Dyson in within, within less under two years, Dyson was number one vacuum cleaner in the UK. I'm not sure how much more time we've got, no, but we, if we quickly mention product systems. Yeah, we've got about a half a minute. Oh, okay. All right. Product systems. We're looking at things like, um, you know, what what are the accessories? What are the add-ons? How do we build an ecosystem that makes us a strong, makes us stronger than our competitor? So there's a couple of phone companies who have um, developed a whole lot of accessories, but they've also got other organisations developing accessories for that organisation. And you know, the one phone, one phone. Um, oh, look, Apple will talk to Apple products. Samsung will talk to Samsung products, so they build this internal ecosystem that makes each reliable mm. on the next product or makes it work better. We so might um, product system. We might talk about ecosystems as a as a whole subject one week. Okay, I think that would be fantastic. So yeah, yeah one, you know, potentially, and we can pull a few of these out. But, but I think that yeah. that is a, that's a really good thing. So maybe once we finish going through the the ten types of innovation, we'll come back and, and do a whole week on ecosystems. Great, thank you. Well, thank you for your time. Um, okay. We'll have a chat with you again next week. We will indeed. Have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with some uh, types of innovation, particularly your products. Yeah. I mean, they're things that we can in innovate on. We've got time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one, three ways to unlock your creative potential at work. Tapping into your innate creativity requires making changes to what you do at work.
You need to break your more destructive focus-killing habits, such as spending a lot of portion of your time all weekend on email or giving persistent direct distractions. To start, give, uh, give yourself time to quietly think and reflect. Practice Mindfulness can be extremely helpful for this because it aids uh, your uh, cognitive functioning. The other thing to work on is managing stress about your deficiencies and failures. This may be the most difficult for achievement-oriented business people, but no one can possibly be creative without failing a lot. Finally, focus on what makes you happy at work. The positive emotions you feel when you are connected to your personal and organisational purpose will help you stay grounded and creative even when things are tough. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at some of those recent movements and the inquiry into the retirement village sector and some of those more uh, types of innovation. In a moment, Sarah Farley Adams will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to look at business awards with Kimberly Claire Campbell from the Hunter Region Business Hub. Going to chat with uh, Christina about some more of those types of innovation and some more business and legal news and views that may affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law, and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Picasso once said, action is the foundational key to all success.